Hello and welcome, Ducks fans, where and whenever you're watching or listening. This is the Once a Duck podcast, where we bring you up to date with current and former University of Oregon athletes and give you never before heard stories about your favorite teams and moments in Duck history. And for this introduction, we're recording this right after that very special UCLA game. And uh, co-host Sam at Samuel101TS, congratulations. Perfect call on the score, but uh, not exactly how we wanted to see it. Sure had me biting my nails at the end of this game. And, uh, man, what's your first reaction? Well, I'll tell you, man, it was really funny because I was sitting there and I wasn't even thinking about the score whatsoever until all of a sudden I re- UCLA was like about the 50-yard line. And I was like, hold them here, hold them here. I don't want overtime. And then I went, wait a minute, this is exactly the score I predicted. Okay, really hold them here. Really do it now. I want to be right and I want Oregon to win. And, hey. Luckily, DJ James was able to come down with his second pick of the game on a terrific read right there. Read the quarterback's eyes all the way, and Oregon's able to escape with a victory. Yeah, and those of you that follow us regularly already know, your followers at Once a Duck or you VIP subscribers that get the episodes early, you already know Sam's usually pretty in the ballpark on predictions, but on point like that, very, very, very rare. We're going to have to take note of it. I'm your host. That might be a Once a Duck first, at least on my end. We'll have to go, go and double check the records. But again, we're rushing this uh, intro here. Uh, Sam is going to be taking over the majority of this episode because I'm your host, Nick Cody, former Oregon Duck, and I'm going to be going on vacation. The next time I am on land and able to talk to you guys, I will be heading to Eugene for that Colorado game next week. So be wearing yellow. Can't wait to see you there. But we got to start with a lightning yellow round. Reactions to the game and uh, two minutes start. Let's go. Well, you know what? First things first, uniforms look better on TV than I thought they looked in any photo shoot. Very solid. Yeah, I noticed on Twitter that you weren't definitely down with them like you usually are. I, w- I was with it all the way because I knew that TV viewing factor is always one of those primary concerns when those designs are going on. What I noticed right away is a lot of changes up front with the offensive line in the first half, a lot of shuffling around and uh, another injury. You know, a guy we've talked about, uh, JPJ. Uh, went down with injury and uh, Forsyth wasn't able to play, even though we talked about it all week. We'll get into that a little bit after, but offensive line shuffle up front, you know, that that makes me pretty concerned right away. And you know what? Defensive line, going to flip it around really quick. Oregon's defensive line after a first drive where they really got pushed around, they snapped two and oh my goodness, Kayvon Thibodeau, worth the hype, worth the story on game day. My goodness, this guy came to t- play and he was an absolute terror. Yeah, if he wasn't already making enough money, he made himself a lot more today. I mean, he's going to be doing he's going to be making quarterbacks lives a nightmare at at a different level. And there's a lot of early holding calls that they definitely missed. Anyways, moving on the offense, honestly, until that late interception at the end, I was very, very impressed with Anthony Brown's performance today. Uh, You know, a couple of those runs there that were definitely set up in scheme were were really highlighted by his athletic ability and his ability to burst and trust his speed. Like we talked about with Michael James last week, that it's important. And, and, you know, really besides that last, you know, and um, I don't know if it was miscommunication with the receiver or what, but Hey, we got your prediction out of the end. Otherwise it looked like Oregon was going to continue to roll on there, that drive and get some points. You know, what really, uh, what really I had to say here is Travis Dye, my goodness, this guy has absolutely carried this ball club. He's looked fantastic. Four touchdowns, four touchdowns for Travis today, all rushing. Maybe he didn't have the most yards. He didn't even have that many carries, but it doesn't matter because he was getting in the end zone. That's it. That's the perfect way to wrap it because, yeah, that's my MVP too. So moving on, recapping the game a little bit. Uh, yeah, very, very concerned when I saw Forsyth out there, uh, you know, no pads on. And then with the uh, the back brace, which was very familiar right away to me because I've got a couple of those still I've got to throw on every here and there when the when the back's getting thrown out on me. But tough, tough thing, and especially because of the, the way that they were talking about him coming back all week, I have to wonder if the travel affected that. And as I'm about to board a plane here tonight when we're recording this, I'm already thinking I might have to go to the closet, bust mine out, throw it on just in case for that little bit of extra security for flying from here to Miami, Seattle to Miami, man. It's going to be tough. So you know, a lot, lot shorter trip there going down uh, to uh, to the Rose Bowl, but it's still, still really tough when you have a back injury. You wake up every single day, and it's a new challenge. Correct me if I'm wrong. Is that the longest flight in the continental U.S.? 
well, I thankfully have a layover in Chicago to pick oh, up okay. my crack, crack and one open uh, podcast host, Jameson, who you'll meet at the Colorado game and uh, people out there be looking for us. If you get in the stadium early, when the duck comes out on the motorcycle, I got Sam and Jameson down on the field with our buddy, Mike, who's, uh, who's helpful enough to get us down there. Uh, thankfully, we're going to be literally getting off the plane Friday. Mike's going to be picking us up, and then we're going to be spending the night in Vancouver, coming down to Eugene for that 1230 kickoff next week. And uh, alumni tailgate right before where we're going to get to see plenty of uh, past and hopefully future guests on Once a Duck. So really excited for that and hope to see as many of you guys there in the stadium uh, on Saturday as possible. A mischief night or day for us but uh man before we get to talking a little bit about colorado before i gotta get out of here more things i saw from this game turnovers finally getting the turnovers back and going and in a big way to even some that got waved off because of penalties or some weird a lot of weird stuff where i'm not gonna i'm not gonna even get into the pac-12 referees you can get into that with your guests if you want to because we could talk an entire episode about just this this particular game and some of the calls and what what was even going on some of the calls that they made initially and had to have corrected in the booth where everybody even the announcers know what's going on like and the refs don't that's a problem, but I've already talked about it more than I wanted to. Sam, what really stood out to you besides things we've talked about in our lightning round? Well, you know, you mentioned the turnovers, and it's so important to say DJ James today, two interceptions, fantastic play from him. And also, what is it again? Special teams, uh, what? Be special! And they were. They got the blocked punt. They were great in kick coverage all day for the most part. They did have the one blunder early where Oregon got a punt blocked. But you know what? They were able to return the favor. I'll consider that a net zero. Good recovered from it. Yeah, you recovered and bounced back from it. It shows you the resilience of this team. And it reflected on a lot of different levels today. Every time it felt like there was a big play. And early on, UCLA was having a lot of them and a lot of success early. It felt like we just kept chipping away, chipping away. And, uh, you know, excuse the uh, the pun there in the language. But it really felt like we just kept wearing them down play after play after play. And by the end, their offensive linemen were like turning gate right on Kayvon Thibodeau. As soon, soon as he was coming off the line of scrimmage and uh, not just him, but other guys were able to get a lot of pressure and uh, DTR was hurt, not able to come out and finish that game. Well, you know, I, maybe it was just the camera angle. I wasn't able to tell his arm did not look like it was sitting right when he was laying on the ground right there. That looked like, it, I don't know if it was separated. I don't know if it was completely popped out. Maybe it was just the camera angle, and we'll find out more this evening. As we said, it is just like oh, it's about five o'clock right now. The game descended like less than an hour ago, so we don't really know yet. But to be told, it, it didn't look good, and that was just a, a, an image right there of the amount of pressure Oregon was able to get in this game. As I said during the lightning yellow round, that first drive, Oregon was really kind of punched in the mouth. They weren't ready at all. UCLA came out with pace, they came out with tempo, and they just pounded Oregon. Were able to get all the way down to the end zone. After that, though, until the fourth quarter where things really did kind of get up in the air and get a little chippy, if you will, the uh, the team really did find a way to really limit that offense and contain DTR for the most part. He did have the rushing touchdown late where he was able to get outside. He yeah. did have a couple of first down scrambles, but he did a lot less moving around than I think we're used to seeing him do. And that just comes down to the amazing play of guys like Brandon Dorless, Kayvon Thibodeau, who we've already mentioned, and then blitzing linebackers like Noah Sewell. Every time he brought pressure, it seemed he was at least getting a hurry or a hit. Yeah. And there were a lot of hits on him and you could tell after a while they were wearing down, but you're right. The way he went down and tried to probably stop himself from going down definitely didn't look right. But for the second week in a row, we get a tight game at the end with a Garber's brother uh, trying to go and score and, and get a win against Oregon in a tight game. And uh, he was looking, he was looking really, really tough out there and looked like a really, really good player given the situation and some of the hits he was continuing to take. I mean, really, really impressed with him even being able to deliver the football there and, uh, you know, a, a couple inches the other way and uh, maybe a little more time in the pocket. The game could have ended a lot differently because that kid looked ready. Garbers looked great. He really only made one mistake the entire time he was on the field. And that one mistake was telegraphing a pass that DJ James was able to pick off. Yeah. And that was the ball game. That's what people are going to remember. But what they're not going to remember is the two or three sets of downs before that, where he came out and he was throwing absolute <sighs> strikes and making all the right decisions, including some throwaways that were absolutely the right call. 
Yeah. Yeah. He, he looked really, really good out there for a guy thrown into that situation. And uh, it, it definitely made me more nervous than I wanted to be. Last thing we definitely have to talk about before we move on, talk a little bit of Colorado before I get out of here and let you handle the rest, man, that interception. Oh, I don't know what happened. Miscommunication with the receiver or not, but uh, I know we were texting back and forth pretty much immediately after that. And it's like, Anthony Brown, come on, man. We were just getting behind you. It felt like this game, uh, you know, I, I felt like after that 43 yard run, I was like, okay, I see what the coaches see finally and why they're sticking with this guy. And then that interception, and it's tough, man. It's tough because you don't necessarily know what happened, how that play broke down. But I do know you didn't need to call it in the first place. We were running the ball really, really well. And, you know, keep going with the runs, the screens, the RPOs. I honestly was feeling really, really good about that in the short passing game. And when he didn't have something open, just turning, getting seven yards out of it. You know, there were a, there were a few decisions throughout the game on his, his part. And, of course, every player is going to make their good decisions and their bad ones. But UCLA picked the ball four times. Two of them happened to be bailed out because of penalties. The sure. first one was unacceptable. I understand the US UCLA player was offsides, but trying to get that ball out to Johnny Johnson with the defender on his hip, that was, that was a complete head scratcher for yeah. me. The second one, I gave it a little more lenience. I, it was a free play. You're just kind of throwing it up. But if you're throwing it up on a free play, why are you throwing it to, to Micah Pittman double, double coverage instead of your 6'4", Devin Williams standing in the back of the end zone with one smaller corner on him? That seemed like the easy, obvious decision. Yeah. The first pick that counted, a throw into triple coverage on a slant that was, again, a head scratcher. I was just saying, what, what is happening? And then that last one, that, that looked like it, the play call was to make that throw to go for the kill shot right there. And UCLA had it covered. They were in coverage. And it's another one that you say, well, maybe if it were a better throw, maybe if it weren't. But either way, that's just not a play call you like right there. Yeah, and I'm really interested to know how it's going to be in Autzen Stadium. October 30th, we'll both be there. I'm really interested to see the Boo Birds come back because this is tough. Oregon can play with any team. They can play down to any team. And it seems like we can never get in a place where we feel really, really comfortable. And for a while there, it seemed like, oh, my goodness. 34-17, we could really come out of this and, and blow UCLA out. They could fold right here. But, of course, in a, about a 10-minute span, it gets down to 31-34, and we're sitting here in the same position it felt like we were, except, you know, a little slight edge. But even that close games at the end, I, I feel really, really nervous, but I am so thankful we have the depth and the talent that we do on the defensive end because it really feels like, to me, comparing to my past teams, we had so many guys where even if we brought you in on defense, if you had that kind of offensive talent, we'd move you around. And, and we've had cases like Dion that we brought on the show that are the opposite of that. But you think about the Kenyon Barners that came in as defensive backs and were brought over for Coach Kelly to use as offensive weapons. I really feel like watching this team today, we have so much defensive talent that – Oh, man. And maybe it's just because a lot of these young wide receivers and stuff haven't had their opportunity to really shine yet. But we I, I am really amazed by the amount of talent we have on the defensive side of the football right now. And uh, especially with all the injuries that continue to mount week after week, the ability that we have to just plug in guys and uh, at least get the job done and get the win. It uh, it ceases to amaze me because I played on teams where you get to that third string guy and you're you're losing 20 pounds and, and two three inches in height and uh you know i mean that doesn't sound like a lot but they, it, it matters when you're playing against big tough offensive linemen like you see in the pac 12 so i I've, i i really got to give it to our team and especially you know obviously the talent development and recruiting that we've we've had from our coaches and recruiting is a very important thing to hit on i was sitting with a group and Almost every third play, it felt like I was saying, there you go, freshman. Let's go, freshman, all right. Whether it was Seven McGee, whether it was Terrence Ferguson, whether it was a guy like uh, Cardwell out there getting some good some good pickups on some blocks there yeah. with some blitzers coming through. He definitely deserves a little shout-out for that. Whether it was Jackson Powers Johnson when he went down, having to say, oh, man, that's a great freshman right there. He got hurt. Or just seeing guys in the secondary, whether it's a Dante Manning or whomever, being able to have – though that type of depth and have your youngest rawest greenest players be capable of stepping up and making huge plays in those moments it speaks to the recruiting depth that this team has been able to rake in year after year you're coming up on what's going to be 
the fourth year of Cristobal, I believe next year you'll see it be if I mistake. No, next year will be the third year, yeah. of the fourth yeah. year of Cristobal. Yeah. We'll see his a team of entirely his guys for the for the most part, besides maybe a couple of fifth years, but you're really seeing what this coaching staff has been able to do and has been able to build. And I really like that they're letting some of the younger guys get out there and show what they have because they've got quite a bit. Well, and in some cases, there's no other option right now. I mean, that's just the, the fact of the matter is, and we've had so many injuries and even those that kind of we think are under control like Forsyth and then, uh, you know, day of the game. Not good to go. So tough situation, but moving on to Colorado. I've only played two games against Colorado, but I am sure glad that we are playing them at home, not at Boulder, because the way we do tend to play teams close, man, I know for a fact being up there, that high altitude, it just sucks the wind out of you. And some of those plays that we needed today that built up big energy that got the team psyched and pumped, you just don't have that energy to spend after you make a big play to celebrate, to enjoy your teammates, to to go out there and kind of get that momentum. You have to really, really be focused. And man, that, that Colorado team right now, they've had the wind knocked out of their sails already quite a bit this season. So it's going to be interesting to see if Oregon plays to their potential in this game, we could finally see a real true four quarters, complete football game from this team, but who knows? I would like to think we will, but I, I, I'm not too sure. And uh, I know that uh, Colorado, Never know what to expect from them. I know the first time we played them at home um, in the Pac-12 when we reformed was my senior year, and it was the first game that I wasn't starting that season. So I'll always have um, memories about that game that I'm not too fond of. But I know that we were, you know, Colorado at the time was not doing too well. And really, their time in the Pac-12, they've only had really one standout year that was a down year in the Pac-12, if anything. So... I don't know what to expect from this game because I don't know what to expect from the Oregon Ducks, but I do know if they play to their potential, they could blow this team out. Well, and Colorado is a really strange team because they're sitting at, I believe, two and four, two and five. They only have two wins on the year. They got blown out by California today. They got absolutely run by California. This is also a team that lost to Texas A&M, the team that beat Bama by three points. They beat Arizona, a team that took Oregon deep into the, not deep, but medium way into the fourth quarter, I'll say. They were able to smoke Arizona 34 to nothing. Now they've definitely lost some games that are, again, like surprising. Like, why are you losing that? But I think when you're in the Pac 12, any team is problematic. Any team's going to be able to exploit something. Any team's going to have the talent to be able to do at least something. Yep. Not always sure it's a good thing, not always sure it's a great thing, but it's enough of a thing that makes you have to think about it and have to worry about it. Oregon, they can't come out stale. They really have to get it done. I would love to see this team just come out the way they did in the second and third quarter of this game today and be able to do the same to Colorado. I'll get to official predictions and rundowns and scores and all that at the end of the episode like usual, but for now I'll just say Oregon's got to be ready. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I mean, that that's for sure. It's going to be a real test to see if this team is able to learn from like a Stony Brook where you come back and you really need to, um, you know, adjust your, your, not just your, your calibration for your opponent, but really expect them even more out of yourself. I think that's the thing. Sometimes you go in and you have an opponent that, you know, you're expected to beat up, And uh, it's all about actually taking that time and focus and and putting even more investment into it, being that much more sharp about your practices and your routines. And if Oregon does that, I think it'll show on the field on Saturday. But, man, I'm just bummed because I'm not here for the guests you have lined up. But, alas, I'm going to be having vacation. And it's going to be great to have, like, four days off from Duck Twitter. So, you know, I'll enjoy that. But, Hit you with my prediction real quick. I see this Oregon game, and I've uh, I've made a couple too high predictions and too optimistic predictions so far, but I really see this coming down to be an Oregon 45-Colorado 17 game. I'm, I'm sticking with it. I really think that the energy is going to be great knots in stadium. We'll get that game done out of the way. I'll be on home, headed back to Seattle for the cracking game on Halloween and uh, be able to get to see you and, uh, and Jameson and uh, everybody else that's going to be there in Autzen stadium. I am so pumped for it because while I've had some great experiences already, 
there's nothing like being back on the field right there next to the tunnel as that duck comes out. It's just always the best, man. I, I, I honestly can't wait. I'm way too excited about it. I got to thank you again for making that happen. Uh, I'm going to feel, I'm going to feel a little guilty not being up with my people up in section eight, but you know, by kickoff, I'll be there with them and it'll be a lot of fun. Well, you can make it up for me by uh, handling business on uh, not just the rest of this episode, but you know, all the little things that come with once a duck and uh, all of you that want to get this episode and future episodes a little bit early on our VIP program, cash app or Venmo once a duck. Let us know in the DMs if you're donated already and we can get you the episodes early and a little bit of extra content. If I can shoot anything while I'm in Miami or at Nassau, I'll, uh, I'll try and shoot off a little video for those subscribers there. So uh, just thanks again. Hope you guys enjoy and uh, see you guys on Saturday. Once a duck, always a duck. Sam, you've got it. Ladies and gentlemen, as Nick just told you in that smooth transition, I am here hosting in his absence. With me, a, a co-pilot, if you will, and it's the best one I could have possibly asked for. You just saw him on the show a couple of weeks ago. He's here again because he's just that good, and he does have just that much to say. Joey Harrington. Joey, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing all right. I, I think we should uh, clarify. One, I'm back because uh, Nick is gone. And two, it's not that I just have that much to say. I've, uh, I've just got that much time. You know, So, you know. Let's uh, let's sit and talk ducks. I mean, I I got I got nothing but uh, nothing but time while I'm rehabbing, right? Well, I I, mean, I I have no idea what your schedule looks like. I would hope you got the time, and I'm appreciative that you were able to carve some of it out for us. I really do. First and foremost, the one thing I want to get into before we get into anything else, of course, Colorado coming up this week. You had some uh, pretty unique experience against them, but we just saw Oregon win a very close, a very tough game against UCLA. It was a hard-fought matchup. Oregon went down early, then built up a lead, then had to hang on at the end. Kind of what was your takeaway from that game? What did you really see out of uh, both sides, particularly uh, Oregon, what they were able to do? Well, um, I, I would say that it's nice to have Kayvon Thibodeau back for an entire game. I mean, that, that's truly the first time he's played a full ball game. Um, you know, there are a couple things in that first quarter that uh, you, Coach Bellotti used to call them sudden changes, you know, just the things that you can't, you, you can't predict that just kind of throw a wrench in things. But from the start of that second quarter on, um, really until about the fourth, that, that defense was, was pretty tremendous. Um, but I think that there are always things to work out. While, while Anthony Brown pushed the ball down the field significantly more than he did uh, at any other time during the season, you know, there were two key decisions that, that led to interceptions uh, there in the fourth quarter that, that were tough. And, and granted, the coaching staff, you know, took some ownership on that last call, but Anthony still has to make a better decision with the ball. Um, but all in all, I mean, I, I think it's what we've come to expect from this team, which are close, hard-fought games. Um, and really what we've seen over the last, really since the Stanford game is just kind of steady improvement, right? The, the season has kind of gone, you know, right. You, you make these, these small improvements and, and steady improvements. And, and I think if anybody is looking for Oregon to all of a sudden become a dominant football team, it's not going to happen, but <clears throat> with what they have in place, with what they've shown so far, with the adjustments they've shown they're, they're able to make um, and, and, you know, the potential of what is coming up. I, I, I like the, I like the trajectory of the team right now, but they have to continue to, to improve on the things that um, they didn't get right this last week. And I think you hit on something that I heard from so many people post game, everybody I talked to, who was either working at the game or was in attendance or was just watching it along with me. It was a very emblematic game in that it really was kind of the season in one ball game, showing some really good highs as well as some troubling lows and some moments that you definitely wish you could have back. Moving forward, when this team is going to have to continue on the season, obviously, what are some things that you think immediately stood out to you besides the, the one or two things you mentioned that you think Oregon definitely has to nail down that showed themselves in the UCLA game to be a problem? 
Well, I don't think it's changed for Oregon from week one until, until now. I mean, I think it's consistency on the defensive side, right? They've shown spurts of just being absolutely dominant, but then they've also shown spurts of just allowing, whether it's Stanford or UCLA, in, in short sections, right? The fourth quarter, the last drive of the game to just go chunk, 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 chunk down the field. Consistency on the defensive side of the ball. Um, Decision-making by Anthony Brown. And, and, and accuracy. I mean, the, those are the two things, you know, I, the accurate, you know, I talked a lot at the beginning of the season about Anthony Brown has been a, a career 55%, you know, right in that ball game, or right in that, you know, that, that area passer. And what that does is it often stops drives, right? Because he, he, there's an inaccurate throw, a mid range throw. We saw that a lot in the first part of the season and that killed drives. And when you kill drives, you take the ball out of your hands, you don't score points, right? Over the last, you know, since the Stanford game, Anthony Brown has been the most cons- most accurate passer in the conference. He, his, he has the highest completion percentage in the conference. And that does include, you know, the, the eight to 10 balls that are pushed down the field against Cal, the significant uh, increase in, in balls down the field against UCLA. But there are still a couple decisions that they need to be cleaned up if you're, if and when you're going to get into those close games at the end of the year right? They've shown the ability to win the big games, win on the road in spite of those mistakes, Ohio State at UCLA, right? Those are the two big road games that they've played. And, you know, they put together the best ball games. But as the season goes on, you're going to play better teams. That Civil War game is looking like, well, I guess it's not the Civil War, the Platypus Cup, excuse me, we talked about this, the Platypus Cup, I'm going to get that rolling, um, is going to be a huge game. Uh, Washington State always makes me nervous. Utah is always a solid coached football team. So there are games as the season goes on where they are going to have to clean up those mistakes. Um, but those mistakes have been pretty consistent from, from the start of the season uh, until now. And the times that they have cleaned them up, they played well. And the times that they haven't, you've seen teams move the ball on them and you've seen the Oregon offense be really stagnant. He's mentioned Anthony Brown, and I think it's something he's a very big talking point amongst Duck fans, Duck reporters everywhere. A lot of people have very mixed reactions. My reaction throughout the season has been, obviously, as you said, there are decisions that are puzzling and are questionable. But at other times you see like that 40 yard run, you see, oh, well, that's that right there is a perfect example of why he is in this position, why he is playing. What can a player do, especially in those pressure situations? to kind of work on and prepare themselves for making better decisions in those type moments? Um, boy. Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't necessarily have a specific answer for that other than repetition and preparation, right? Just doing it over and over and over and over till it becomes second nature. Um, you know, I, I, everybody says he's a, you know, a sixth year player, which is true. I mean, you, you should be, uh, at this point in your college career, you should have more expertise than say a freshman, but this is also, you know, not just, I would say a second year in the program, but only is his first year in this, in this offense. Right. Um, so it's just repetition. It, it really is just doing it over and over and over and over so that when you see it in the game, that it's an instinctive reaction rather than just, rather than having to think and read and recognize, right? I think the thing that gets me though about the, the Anthony Brown um, criticism is, you know, it, not to discount a fan's point of view, right? Everybody can have feelings, everybody can have, uh, can feel like they're part of the team, right? They, or feel like they have a connection to the, to the, to the football team, whether it's just, you know, because you like the uniforms and you grew up on the East coast and that was, you know, your first um, exposure to it, or whether you spent time at the university and you're a graduate and you have that personal connection. But the thing that, that gets me is that there's a very strong vocal group of, we'll call them fans that fly in direct contrast to the coaching staff who evaluate those players every single day, the current players who say, absolutely, Anthony Brown is our guy, former players who have been in that situation and and can understand 
I would say have a better understanding of what a team makeup is like in that locker room and what it takes to prepare. Um, player analysts and independent analysts, all of whom are saying that Anthony Brown, even with his faults, because nobody's saying he's perfect, even with his faults, say he gives Oregon the best chance to win football games right now. Right. And that, that's the thing that I have a hard time with is people just spouting all this, you know, knowledge and, you know, and these facts about uh, why Anthony Brown should be replaced when all they're doing is they're, they're sharing their own personal feelings and they're not listening to the coaching staff who said he gives them the best chance to win the current players who said they give, that he gives them the best chance to win the former players who say that he gives them the best chance to win all the player and independent analysts who say that he gives them the best chance to win. Right. So it, it's, it's just, well, and the fact that, you know, they're six and one and sitting at number seven in the country, which means that he's won a lot of football games. So there's, there's what people are feeling and seeing which I get to a certain extent. And then there's the truth and fact and reality. And so um, to be honest, I've kind of stopped giving any real credence to this small but vocal group that believe that they know what is best for Oregon to win football games. Well, and I kind of agree with you there. I'm a big believer in that there are, there are always three truths, the factual truth, the personal truth, and the political truth. And I think a lot of people have been riding on their personal truth a lot when the, uh, when the, the more factual truth has kind of been out there in front of them. Turning the page, though, to the defensive side of things, one thing at least I've noticed, whether it's being in the front of Section 8 for home games or watching road games, it's that Oregon has seemed to struggle defensively the most when another team is in a two minute drill or is hurrying down the field, they're playing with tempo. That's something that you see kind of across football and definitely at times in the UCLA game, Chip Kelly was able to take advantage of that and was able to use his patented tempo against Oregon's defense. How is that something that you can improve upon as a team being able to make those quick adjustments, get up to the line and be ready for those plays at a kind of quicker rate? Reps. I mean, just, just doing it over and over. What made, what made Chip's, team so great at Oregon was the fact that they they did this over and over and over they practiced at a style that was different than everybody else you know what what happened in college football or there were slight you know slight rule changes over the years um there were and, and frankly I won't say college football caught up but so many people started implementing the uh, the things that Chip was doing that it almost became kind of commonplace right and it lost its novelty um the pendulum hasn't swung back the complete other direction, but it has swung to a point that um, I would say has mellowed out a little bit, right? Teams are still, you know, shotgun read option, you know, going with a little bit of tempo, but by no means was it the rocket just shot out of a cannon stuff that, that Chip was doing uh, in his heyday at Oregon. So, um, I, you know, I, I would say maybe it's a matter of reps. Maybe it's a matter of, of, you know, doing it over and over in practice. But you also have to take into consideration that this is a defense that has been, um, I won't say decimated by injuries, but this is a defense that has had significant um, player shakeup, right? That there's, there's rarely been a consistent starting lineup. There's really, rarely been a consistent group of guys that um, are doing the same thing over and over. Right. One guy's in, one guy's out. One guy's hurt for the year. Another guy comes in to replace. I mean, there's there's been a, a carousel of players that have created a, um, a resilience, resilience, resiliency. Um, but I think that in those situations like you're talking about, it doesn't necessarily allow them to have the cohesiveness to say this is the one thing we have to do right now. Come together and do it. Right. That's um, I think I think it's fair to say that a lot of the injuries have created this patchwork defense at times that has created or that has allowed the defense to um, I said build up a um, an attitude and a confidence but it hasn't necessarily allowed them to have the cohesiveness that may be needed in those two-minute drills and you mentioned those injuries I think that they're decimated probably not the worst word when you lose guy like Bennett Williams who was a 
national defensive player of the year over one week in the season. When you have a guy like Thibodeau who just played his first full game, Mace Funa continually in and out of that lineup, a guy like Justin Flo who practiced all summer, all fall, was ready to be that number one middle linebacker guy. He gets hurt in that first game. He's not available. Several other injuries throughout that defense that have been a problem, either nagging or have completely held guys out of games completely. I don't think it's wrong to say that that has definitely had an absolute effect. The last stage of the game, obviously, not least by any means, special teams came up big in this game. We saw a mixture, mix, ex, excuse me, missed extra point, a blocked punt, but also Oregon was able to get in there and block a punt as well, force a missed field goal, which on review is definitely a little bit questionable, but they called it a miss in the game. I'm riding with the fact that it's a miss right now. Special teams obviously want to clean up the mistakes, but you're grateful for the opportunities they present. What can you really do as a unit to be able to kind of clean up some of those errors and then continue to be as aggressive as they've been? Um, I think it has to just be a, 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 you have to place an importance on it, right? You, you have to place the emphasis that this is something that isn't just an afterthought. It's not something that's our offense, defense, and oh yeah, we'll, we'll practice special teams. And I know that coaches do that. And, and you know what, honestly, sometimes, sometimes, other coaches and other teams have schemes that simply work, right? The, the old phrase is, well, they got scholarship players too, or, you know, their coaches get paid as well. I mean, that, that's, that's the reality is, is as much as we are trying to out scheme their team with our coaches and our players, they're trying to do the same thing to us. And sometimes it works. Um, and that was one of those cases this weekend. It absolutely was. Joey, the last thing I'll ask you about that UCLA match. Well, second to last thing. I do have a, a, a little a little bookend at the very end. But if you had to give kind of an overall grade for the game, how to how it went in your mind, what would you what would you kind of place on this team? B plus. You know, I, I think the I think the mistakes by by Anthony um, in the fourth quarter kind of take a little bit away, made it closer than it needed to be. I think the special teams mistakes, like you said, take away from that really polished a grade that you want to give, um, but they won. Right. And, and that's the, that's the thing that, uh, that the only thing that matters in the end is, is did you win the football game? Um, which is an interesting point because again, in this whole Anthony Brown discussion, it come people's idea is, well, if we keep Anthony Brown in, we keep, you know, winning these close games and they're not pretty. Um, how is that going to stack up against, you know, the one loss, Big 10 champ, the undefeated Big 12 champ, the second place team in the SEC that's got one loss. And these are all just hypothetical assumptions, right? You, you don't know how these games are going to play out. Um, and so I don't know where I got Where did I get on? The, how did I get on this topic? Um, take me back. I know I like the, the overall grade. grade. The overall grade. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So talking about, you know, how it's not, a, it's not an A. It doesn't have to be an A every time. It just has to be a W. Right. That, that's truly it, because for all of these scenarios that people think about that could happen, the fact of the matter is in these, what is it, this is the eighth year of the college football playoff. There have been 21 one loss conference champions in consideration for the playoffs positions. 18 of those 21 one loss conference champions have been selected. The only three teams that were left off were in a year when there were five one-loss conference champions that all had to vie for three spots, and a year when there were three undefeated teams that, um, and so all the one-loss teams had to vie for one spot. That's not the situation right now. That's, that's, that is, you know, with Ohio State playing, they still have to play Penn State, and or excuse me, yeah, they still play Penn State, Michigan State, and Michigan. Michigan plays Michigan State and Ohio State. Um, Alabama has to play Georgia in the championship game, and Oklahoma still has Oklahoma State and Iowa State and another top 25 team. I mean, there's all sorts of things that can happen. And so, yes, is it important that you have an A, a game? Sure, of course it is. Uh, does it leave you vulnerable if you don't? Sure. But the most important thing is that you win. And if you win and you're a one-loss conference champion out of Pac-12, right now that's the best thing that you can do. The last piece about UCLA that we can put it to bed. This was a huge talking point, a lot of controversy either way, a really, really important topic to hit on if you ask me. 
Are you pro or anti eggshell? Ooh, I'm pro eggshell. Pro eggshell? I did. I liked it. I liked it. Um, I like what I would have liked. I'll be honest. I would have liked a little bit more because the helmets were green, right? A super, super, super dark green. Yeah. The same as the, uh, the Sody right here, the nightmare. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it, it looked black at times and black and white seems a little bit, I'm going to say boring for Oregon uniforms. I would have liked a little bit more green out of that, but uh, I liked it. I liked it. You know, it's, it was subtle. It wasn't, um, you know, God, I'm trying to think of what are some of the, nothing is as bad as those highlighter, those highlighter yellow uniforms from that Kellen Clemens wore. Those, those were the worst. Those are the absolute worst. Well, you know what? I was actually, I'm not even joking. I was thinking about pulling one of those out for the wear yellow game this week. And I've got a Holodi Nada number 96. I might, I might have to just because you pointed it out here, just so I can stand out right there in the front of section eight, just to give you and everybody else a headache. Don't do it. Don't do it. It's not worth it. It's not worth the stain that it's going to put on you and your family for this life and eternity is to come. That is something that will haunt you and your children and your children's children. And we'll, we'll, we'll live as this burned in just, just memento of the terrible decision that it was to venture into the colors of highlighter of, of the Crayola highlighter packs, right? You know, not, you know, we're not talking bold and rich. We're talking like pure, like, like a teacher using a highlighter kind of color. That, that's just not something that you want to be part of your family legacy. Okay. Just think about it, Sam. Just think about it. Well, it turns, I, I definitely can't go with the, the highlighter and forest green. Now it's been, uh, it's been pointed out too clearly, I suppose that that can't happen. Joey, as soon as we come back from what the viewers is going to see is probably about a three second little transition. We're going to be talking plenty about that awesome Colorado game that you played in at the end of the 2001 season, that Fiesta Bowl. But first, we have to bring in who is going to be technically our guest. You're always our guest who was a co-pilot today, but our official guest, he's going to be joining us. He actually caught the first touchdown in that game from you. Number 15, Keenan Howry. What's up, buddy? Hey, what's up, Joey? How's it going? How are you? I'm good. Man, we got some gray going there, okay? Oh, a lot, a lot. I always, I always kind of had little bits of it. It's just I just okay. never grew it out. So now it's just front and center. <laughs> you're looking distinguished, like you know. Oh what you yeah, like yeah, a, very distinguished. Like, like a corduroy jacket, you know, and like you know, like a little uh, a half zip sweater, and then you know, oh, some yeah. leaves on campus. You could be like a professor. I uh, know. Get the get the leather patch on the. Uh-huh, yeah, double patches. <laughs> well, as you guys see. We've got Joey Harrington. We've got Professor Howery here. We are excited and ready to talk about this. This is a game that I have gone back and watched as a Duck fan several times. I was a little young at the time to have been able to see it live or even have a good memory of it, but it's a game that I'm very familiar with. After that incredible one loss, 11 win, 2001 season, you guys took the Oregon Ducks into Sun Devil Stadium took on a Colorado team that had been at the top of the mountain in college football for quite some time. And I don't know if you guys would ever say it, but I'm going to say you guys officially ended that program and the run that they were on for at least that time. Gentlemen, first thing I have to ask both of you, what is the, the one memory that sticks out to you about that incredible 2002 Fiesta Bowl? Keenan, go for I it. I mean, for me, I mean, it started back in like the spring, you know, the summer it felt different. You know, it, it, it just, you just had a vibe. It was just something about the way everybody was training, the way everything just was going within the building and the facility when we were out on the field, it just felt different from the very beginning. And, you know, we, we carried that over to, you know, string off a bunch of wins until the point where we, we get to that game. And, you know, there's a lot of times where, you know, a lot of teams get in that situation and there's that, that letdown, like, Oh, you know what, we're not playing for a national championship. You know, this is a, you know, kind of a consolation prize. You know, we're just, we're not really happy to be here. But we went out there and we, we felt like we all had something to prove. And I was, you know, going on from, you know, like I said, from the summer and spring. And, you know, everybody went out there and just really just played well. And I mean, from the jump, I mean, we just didn't let our foot off the gas. It was an interesting, you're right, Kenny. It was an interesting feeling coming into that game because, um, 
you know, I have the entire BCS formula up on the uh, <laughs> up on the chalkboard in the key in the QB room. And t- Tedford would actually okay, like as the weeks went on, like okay, what who needs to lose and what do we need to do and how does this? And so I say, all right, here's where the decimal points go. And I was sure that we would be playing Miami, right? That that was how it was all going to work out. And then when we didn't, and not only did we not play Miami, but we got ranked below a two loss Colorado team in that, you know, that, that BCS rankings prior to that game, I think it kind of, um, well, at least I know for me, it pissed me off. You know, I mean, there were, I think there was a, a, a level of uh, disrespect that, that kind of came from that. And that was really what kind of built the, the previous, you know, eight to 10 years of the program, right? Was this idea that we were always looked over, overlooked. Right. Oregon wasn't USC. Oregon wasn't Texas. Oregon wasn't, you know, Oregon wasn't Colorado at that point. Right. You know, Darian Hagan and Charles Johnson and Cordell Stewart and, you know, the national championships, the, the national championship they had won. Um, and, and even coming into that game, a two loss Colorado team, they were talking about how they were going to at least the media was talking about how they were going to run through us and their, their, you know, their huge offensive line of, you know, Andre Girard and, and uh, Dan Graham at tight end. And Chris, uh, I think it was, was it Chris Jones, Chris, yeah, Johnson. Chris Jones running back. Yeah. Running back. And they're just going to run right through this tiny defensive walk-ons uh, and undersized, you know, walk on Chris Tedderton's and undersized Kevin Mitchell's. Um, and I think that lit a fire under people. I, I think there was, a certain level of, all right, you left us out of this game. We're going to show you why you made the wrong decision. And, um, you know, I, I think there was people just finally being fed up of being looked over, of being passed over, of, of, of not thinking that we belonged in the conversation. So, um, yeah, it really was. It's, it's funny. A lot of people have asked me, if you could do it over again, would you trade that Fiesta Bowl win for an opportunity to play a Miami team in that BCS championship game? But let's let's remind, okay, let's 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 talk about this. Kenny Dorsey backed up by Brock Berlin, uh, Andre Johnson, uh, and Santana Moss, and no, then it was not. And, oh, he, not left, right. he left the year before, but it was Clinton Portis who was backed up by Willis McGahee, who was backed up by Jarrett Payton, who all of those backs only played because Frank Gore tore his ACL in, in training camp. And it was Jeremy Shockey who was backed up by Kellen Winslow, who was backed up by Buck Ortega. And the defensive side of the ball was Jonathan Joseph, who was backed up by Antrell Roll. And it was Ed Reed, who was backed up by Sean Taylor. And it was Vince Woolfork, who was the backup for uh, Jerome McDougall. I mean, literally, this was just a a team full of first round NFL picks. So the question is always, would you give it up to to play one game against that team? And I'm not going to answer that, but I'm going to pose that question to Keenan. Well, I mean, I I would I would 10 times out of 10 give it up to play Miami because, you know, kind of like what you said before, just about how it's it's always been disrespect. And I think that's just the the whole team is just built around that. And I, I don't think there'd have been any better feeling than to go out there and go against a Miami team that everybody said, greatest team ever, one of the best teams ever. Look at all these NFL guys. And, you know, it would have been the same. The whole bowl, two weeks leading up to that bowl game would have been just disrespect. And I think we would have went out there and, and really played well because – you know, like I said, I, I, I always I always used to bring this up with Bryant McKinney because, you know, I played with him in Minnesota, Minnesota. He was on that team, and we would have these long, heated arguments, and I'd go, hey, I think we would have had a chance to win, but I do know one thing for sure. If we'd have played you guys, you wouldn't have blown us out like you blew out from Nebraska. That's that's what I know for damn sure. Yeah. You know, and I just, I just felt like offensively, I just, I just don't think they would have been able to like, – now, their front seven was good. You know, but when it comes down to like having yeah, to match up with, you know, myself, Williams, yeah, uh, Williams, Noma, uh, Vince Wilfork, Wilfork, yeah, okay. all those guys. But I've always felt like in their secondary, I think they would have had a problem having to match up with myself, Sammy, and Jason Willis. You know, even even with you know having Sean Taylor and their corners, it's still going to be hard to match up. You're going to either match up a linebacker or a safety on us. So you know, I think we'd have had a good shot. We'd had a good chance. Like I said, we wouldn't have got blown out though. <laughs> And that, that's always my response is, you know, in the same way that Ohio State beat them the following year, right? Yeah. 
Maurice Claret. It was Craig, Craig Krenzel at quarterback, right? Yeah. Craig Krenzel beat arguably the greatest team in history of in the history of college football. Yeah. Right. And so if we'd have played them 10 times, how many times would we have won? You know, I don't know. That's but that's not the question, right? Yeah. All we needed to do was beat them once. And all yeah. we needed to do was play them once. It's and like yeah. in game, you know, Doctor Strange. Just just one. <laughs> just one. Gentlemen, as much as fun as it is to think about that Miami team and everything that could have happened in that ball game, you ended up matched up against Colorado. They come out, they score first, and then after that, it is lights out. Defense takes care of business. You guys get out there and absolutely dominate on the offensive side. The first score of the game, I mentioned it right before we got into this. Joey, you got a pass to Keenan right over the middle. He was able to get it into the end zone. Was there a feeling throughout that volume, especially after that first score, that the tide was about to turn, or was it something that just built up throughout the afternoon? Yeah, I mean, kind of like what I said about, you know, going to get up against Miami, I, I think offensively, we didn't think that anybody could stop us. I mean, you look at that whole year, we were able to do pretty much whatever we wanted. You know, we could run the ball, you know, really well with Ontario and uh, Maurice. And then when we needed to and we had to, we could go out there and, you know, and throw, throw the ball around a little bit, you know. And it's, it's hard when you have guys, you know, like I said, myself, Sammy, and Jay Will to match up. And we know that as we started to move the ball, you know, down the field on them when we needed it, you know, on that third, on the touchdown, it was third down. And it was something where I know uh, Coach Tedford has said, look, they're going to get going to be third down right here. They're going to match up their safety on you in the slot. And we're going to run. Uh, we're going to sell it like it's a corner and then break it back to the post. He's not going to be able to cover you. And I feel like as the day went on, I mean, that was evident. They just, they just couldn't keep up with us because I just think that that was a team built to stop the run. So when we had to spread them out and then when we had to run, we could. I, I think you, you kind of hit the nail there, uh, Keenan, is – we had so many different elements to our offense, right? And we had Tedford, who I still believe in all my years of football was the best at forcing defenses into what he already knew they, we wanted them to play, right? He could scheme, a, he could dictate a defense's coverage based on our alignment, right? Better than anybody I've, I've been around. So when you had guys like Keenan and Jason, you know, and Jay Will, who were technicians, right? That, that's the thing that I loved about Keenan is I always knew, I always knew where he was going to be and I knew when he was going to be there and I knew why he was going to be there because he studied the same stuff that I did and he comprehended and, and, and digested football better than any wide receiver I've known. So exactly to his point, like they, we, we, we set the formation which dictated their coverage, which says, I already know what route, what, what concept I'm going to get here, or what coverage I'm going to get against the concept that Tedford drew up. Keenan saw it, saw it, bam, touchdown, right? So there's the technician side of thing. The next thing was Sammy, who admittedly, for about two and a half years, I hated throwing to him, hated it, because I could never tell when he was coming out of his breaks, and I could never, and he was always, he never looked like he was running fast, but then he like just had this glide to him that I'd always put it behind him, because I, I, I could never figure it out. So what do you do? Just send them over the top. Give me quarters coverage, take out their safety and, set, and send Sammy on a deep ball. They couldn't cover it. They couldn't cover the technician. They couldn't cover the speed. Maurice just starts churning yards away in the third quarter. And then we come back inside to the matchup that of Justin Peel, um, you know, on their linebackers who, who couldn't cover him, right? We had it. We truly had it all. And then we had this, um, I won't even call him a spark plug because he was an NFL running back. But uh, Ontario Smith, like Maurice was our starter, but we had the luxury of being able to do all these things. You know, heck, we'll show Ontario a shovel pass, right? <laughs> that game was emblematic of everything that we brought to the offensive side. And I think your question of when did you start to feel it rolling was after the touchdown to Sam, right? We, we precisioned them to a touchdown with Keenan. Then we blew the top off with Sammy. And then it just was floodwaters after that. You mentioned Maurice, and he has probably one of the most memorable runs in Oregon history in this ballgame. I don't know about you guys, but for me, it, it, it's kind of difficult for me to maybe remember in depth something I did. But when it's something somebody else did and I was there for it, it, it stays like crystal clear. That run from him was so incredibly powerful. He makes his way up to the left, gets brought down by two or three guys, stays on their back, stays up 
then turns, able to cross it in, up to the middle of the field, walk into the end zone. What do you guys remember from that incredible play made by number nine? Well, I had a I think- front row seat right there because I was right there when it happened. You know, I, I came in to, to block the safety and because Monterey, I mean, uh, because Maurice bounced it outside, safety beat me over the top. So I'm running, trying to get the block and Ontario, I mean, uh, Maurice is there. I kind of don't get it. The guy tackles him, he comes down and I'm looking, you can see the film, I'm standing there right over him and he's laying on the guy's back and he just rolls up and goes. And I'm like, ah, crap. So I just start running with him because I was like, I, I guess there's no whistle. I'm just going to keep running. But I mean, it was just an amazing run to have the wherewithal for Maurice to just keep going and you know, knowing he wasn't down and then just to, to keep going and just, you know, plow through everybody. It was, it was memorable. I think that run for me was just kind of, it kind of encapsulated Mo. Like he was yeah. just, he, he was never really a, a fluid runner. Like he always looked like he had a little bit of a limp going as he hit the edge. And if you knew him in the locker room, he was a bit of a, um, what's the word? He was a bit of a joker. He was kind of quiet, always had a smirk on his face, never quite sure what he was up to, right? There was always something that, you know, he'd be walking away and just kind of smirking, knowing something was going to happen. And so the fact that he kind of limp, you know, has that little that little, that little speed limp around the corner and then turn something that like should have been done into or should have been down into a touchdown was just perfect Maurice. It was like, you know what? Of course he's going to end up in the end zone after a run like that. (laughs) On the defensive side, one guy who had an incredible game was that Steve Smith had several interceptions in that ball game. He was just phenomenal being able to shut down the Colorado passing game from the sideline, from your guys' perspective, what was you, do you think he was seeing out there? What do you think was happening that the defense was able to scheme up to really be able to take advantage of uh, his ability? You know, I think our defense, you know, pretty much played to the, the best of their abilities and what they did best. You know, we had, you know, three really good linebackers that could not just stop the run, but were great in coverage. You know, our, our secondary was great in coverage, but at the same time, you know, Rasuli Webster and Keith Lewis, were great at coming downhill and stopping the run, you know, and then you match that with, you know, a guy like Rashad who just says, all right, cool. I'm just not going to throw over there. And then it makes you throw to a guy like Steve Smith, where he's like, he's not, he's a big corner. He's like, what, six, one, six, two. He doesn't look that fast, you know? So you think like, okay, we can probably take some, take some shots on him, but he has so much range and he can just, he can cut down that, that gap between him and receivers so often. So I think a lot of times, you know, you get it to where you think, quarterbacks are sitting there thinking like, Oh, I got a chance. I can make this throw. Then all of a sudden you just see Steve just, you know, make up ground and make plays. And, you know, with, with Aliotti, I mean, he put those guys in great positions to go and say, Hey, this front seven and one safety, we're going to stop the run. It's up to you three to stop everything else. And, you know, they, they made the most of it and made a lot of plays. Yeah. The Colorado was not a terrific team throwing the football. And, and that was absolutely, you know, you talked about it, you know, Keith and Rasuli, all right, come down and, 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 and stop that run. You got Rashad, who is so funny, like he, you know, I don't think anybody would uh, argue with this. He was the better of the two corners, right? Rashad was the guy where you said, here's your best receiver, you know, go, you know, you're, you're just, you're, you're locking him down, right? That's it. We'll see you, see you at the end of the game. And then everybody else kind of played off of that. And I think that gave Steve the opportunities, right? With safeties down and run stop, with Rashad locked up over here, that gave Steve the opportunities to make those big plays. And there were times during the year where, you know, teams got him. And that, you know, that's the, that's the part of being a, a DB is having a short memory. And then there were times when Steve would just come up big and, and come up huge like he did in this game because he was big, like, like Keenan said. He, and he was, he was incredibly athletic for his size. Um, and, and you saw him make those plays uh, in that game when, when he had the opportunity to do it. And, and that's what was, that's the, that's really the mark of a great player is, you know, what they say when preparation meets opportunity, right. And, and Steve was prepared and he had the opportunity against that team in that game. And um, he was the, the defensive MVP. And I think people were, will remember him because of that. Well, gentlemen, the last thing about this historic ball game, now looking back on the game, 20 seasons later, being able to have perspective on everything that's happened to the Oregon program since then. At that moment, when you're standing there holding that trophy, it's a BCS bowl win. It's a huge moment for the program. What were you feeling then? And then what do you feel about it now, kind of in retrospect? And as we've been doing this whole time, Keenan, of course, go ahead. And then Joey will have a great answer to follow up, I'm sure. 
Yeah, man, it was, it was just, you know, like I said, kind of the culmination of everything that kind of happened that year, you know, from the feeling we had in the spring and the summer to now all of a sudden getting there and being able to kind of put the, I guess, put the questions to bed. I mean, from a, from an outside standpoint, it, it felt good to go out there and finally get that win, especially the way we did just, just beating the brakes off of them and, and handing them one of the worst losses they've had all year. And, you know, just going out there and knowing like, Hey, we went out there, played well. And for me, you know, I, I still had a year left and I was just sitting there thinking like, man, this is going to be awesome when we're back here next year, you know, winning the BCS title. Cause in my mind, that was, that was all, that was the next step. That's where we wanted to go. So, but for all those guys that were there, the guys that were seniors and ending their, ending their career there, I know it was probably an awesome feeling to know that, you know, all the hard work they had put in for those four or five years plus, you know, coming in there was, had to be amazing. I, I can only imagine you know, what that feels like to kind of end your career like that. Yeah. And, and I think looking back on it too, Keenan, you're right. It, it was a great way to end, end my college career. But I think looking back on it, it like there are really distinct the, the evolution of the Oregon football program has had some very distinct steps, right? You, you know, Sam, your question was about, you know, what it meant then and, and 20 years later, which doesn't seem, you know, hard to believe it's been 20 years and, and where the program is now, right? You can look at that moment as a monumental step on the climb to where Oregon is now. And we're not there. Right. That, that national championship has still eluded the program. But, you know, everybody says, oh, it's Kenny Wheaton in, in the pick. No, 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 no. It, it goes back to, to Bill Musgrave. And when Bill showed up in 86 and then that, you know, they went they started the season five and one, I think, in 87, 87, 88. And then he got hurt and then they lost like five straight and didn't make a bowl game. But the very next year they went to their first bowl game. Right. And the Independence Bowl in Shreveport. And my God, you'd have thought it was like the Rose Bowl around here. I mean, they were selling tickets like crazy. And it was all of about 17 degrees and raining sideways. But people just loved the idea of Oregon in a bowl game. That was the start. Right. And that bowl game turned into the recruiting class that turned into Kenny Wheaton and the pick and the Rose Bowl and Cotton Bowl back to back. Right. And those years turned into the recruiting classes that brought in Rashad and me and Keenan and Sammy and Justin Peel and, you know, Rasuli and Steve Smith that turned into eight wins, nine wins, 10 wins, 11 wins over the stretch of, you know, 98 to 01. And then that, that bowl game, the Fiesta bowl game really solidified our place in the college football landscape. Right. And then people, you know, then, you know, credit Bilotti for, for adapting and bringing in guys like, like Chip, who then took the program to the next level. And, you know, you've seen the continued evolution of the program. And I, and I think that game was probably kind of somewhere in the middle of where, you know, I'm, I'm hoping this program ends up being, right? You know, if, if Bill Musgrave is the start in the national championship, hopefully in the near future, future is where we want to be. That Fiesta Bowl game is somewhere in the middle that has helped you know, elevate the program to where it is today. But there are a lot of people who've kept it going um, and have built off of, you know, what it is that we had going there in 01. Well, gentlemen, it's always amazing to be able to hear, especially from you guys who were on the field that day, such an important game in Oregon history, such a monumental win, as you just said, Joey. Keenan, thanks so much for being willing to jump on. I know I hit you a very last minute. It, it came to me a little bit too late to do this, but I'm really glad that you had the time to be able to do it. Before we get you out of here, is there anything that you want to uh, – tell the duck fans to, to be able to promote or I get out there. No, nothing promote just, man. It's, it's just feels good to always be able to, you know, turn the TV on and watch, you know, the ducks play. And I was actually able to go to the Rose bowl uh, this past Saturday and, and watch the game and just being able to have a lot of excitement for the ducks and what's going on in the future. And, you know, what crystal ball has going there. And it's, it's, it's going to be exciting to see, you know, not just this year, but what's, what's going to come in the future. And kind of like what, what Joey said, man, I, I think that that national championship is, is brewing and it's, it's on the cusp, you know, we're right there, you know, we can just somehow, some way stop, you know, having those small slip ups, what seemed like all, always to Stanford, but if we can just <laughs> you stop those little ones, you know, I, I don't, I don't think that, you know, we're going to be that far away from, you know, that, that undefeated season 12, you know, 13 and 0 with a shot in the playoff and you know, really ready to make some noise with the type of place guys he's recruiting us. It's, it's, it's coming soon. Well, Keenan, since you were there at the Rose Bowl, I have to ask you the same question that I just asked Joey, and it's the most controversial question in uh, Oregon sports right now. Were you pro or against the eggshell? <laughs> I, you know, 
I didn't think it even looked like an eggshell until somebody, until it, you read it and it goes like, it's eggshell. And I'm like, I, I don't buy many eggs that look like that, but uh, I guess, all right, duck whatever. Egg. <laughs> it's a duck egg. Duck egg. But it was, I mean, it's different. It's always, it's always been, you know, our thing since, you know, that oh two, I mean, oh three year where it was like, hey, every few years we're going to come up with different uniforms and, and really, you know, at least have it all kind of make sense. And, you know, we continue to do that with, you know, we had the, you know, the duck uniform where we dressed like the duck for a game, you know, and then we have, hey, this is what the eggshell, you know, this is what a, the duck egg kind of looks like. And, you know, it's, it's, it's cool and it's different. You know, would I, would I, would that be one of my choices? <laughs> but, but that, it, it's definitely cool. I always like the, the different options. I always, that was always one of the things I used to, you know, mess with uh, Pat Conrad, who was the head equipment guy when, when we were in school. And I used to always tell him like, hey, how can we, how can we wear the green pants with the white jerseys? Like, how can we get a throwback game? Can we go back to the green and yellow for just one game? So I used to always mess with him about that, you know, for four years. So like, I like all the options. I love it. And, you know, any, anything that's different from just, you know, the, the good old, the fashion stuff is, is always going to be sit right with me. <laughs> Keenan, thanks so much for coming on. I really appreciate you being willing to uh, spend some of your day here with us. And uh, of course, as always, once a duck, always a duck. Yeah, my pleasure, guys. Thanks. Appreciate it. See you, Keenan. All right, man. All right, folks, I'm the last one here. Joey has to dip out for a meeting. Totally understand. Keenan, thanks so much for being here. Nick, I have to take care of this one on my own, and you know that's going to make me plenty uncomfortable, but I'm glad to be here, glad to get some thoughts quickly out about this upcoming matchup. Oregon's got Colorado coming up this weekend, and, well, Colorado isn't quite the team that you might expect them to be, especially if you were watching football back when that Fiesta Bowl was happening that we were talking about. But truthfully, I think this is a game Oregon's able to take care of. I think at times it might be a little bit frustrating, especially early on. This Duck team has seemed to have struggled getting out of the gate at time to time, but I don't think that becomes much of a problem. Overall, I think Oregon's going to get a win here. If I had to put a prediction on it, 41-17, Oregon gets the victory. As always, thanks so much for every single one of you who listens. You can follow me at Samuel101TS. Nick will be right back here next to me, so you don't have to look at just me. He'll be here. You can follow him at just follow 61, wherever you follow people on social media. Of course, follow Joey, follow Keenan. And if you feel like it, become a once a duck VIP. All you have to do is send a uh, quick $5, $10, whatever you prefer to uh, at once a duck, whether it's cash app or Venmo, we would love to be able to get you in on some of the more exclusive content we're able to produce. I'm sure. Nick and I'll have something for you coming up for this Friday game. Him and I'll be back there together again. And then, you know, as always, once a duck, always a duck. Thanks for checking in. Really appreciate it.